Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. You ready to dive in? If you have a copy of God's Word with you today, would you take it and open it with me to Daniel chapter three? And if you don't have the Bible with you, the words will be here on the screen in front of you in just a moment. We've been going through a sermon series entitled Fearless Faith, where we've been reminded loud and clear that how we're to live in the midst of a culture that frankly is bowing to also to do with God. As a believer in Jesus Christ, how do we walk in the light when we are surrounded by such great darkness? And I believe the answer to that is loud and clear from the book of Daniel that God calls us to live and to walk in fearless faith. That we live recognizing that the, the God that we serve is the living God of heaven. We love him, we serve him, we worship him. He has all power and he has all authority. So regardless of what's going on around me and even maybe the anxieties happening within me, I am called to look to him, to love him and to trust in him. Many aspects that we've seen about that, but today we come to a component of fearless faith that I believe has a radical influence in our life. And it has to do with our worship. So this morning, as we open God's word, I really wanna ask you in our time together to, to consider a question that you and I will examine and hopefully will impact our lives today. And that question is simply this. In your life today, right where you sit, your lifestyle, your patterns, your decision-making process, all of it. In your life today, who or what are you worshiping? Who or what are you worshiping? Now, many of us today know what the answer to that should be. We, we would know that the answer should be that we are worshiping Jesus, that he has first place in our life, that he's the Lord, he's a ruler. We honor him in all that we do. We know what the answer should be. But that's not necessarily what the answer is in our own lives. Who or what are you worshiping? The fact of the matter is many of us today, especially Christians, we have a very narrow view of what worship is. So often when we hear the word worship, our mind immediately goes to singing. It goes to praise and worship, so to speak. Now, to be clear, I love music. I love praise and worship music. In my time at home, when I'm having my time with the Lord, oftentimes it begins or it ends with a time of just praising and worshiping the Lord. One of the best components of the worship services and gatherings together when we come together is I love to be a part of the band as they're leading and they're singing and, and just worshiping the Lord. And I honestly can get lost in it. But worship is far more than just the singing and the musical aspects of the service. Most of us, when we think of worship, we think of the band or we think of the soloist or maybe we think of a choir. We, we think of how people express it, maybe through clapping or through raising their hands, maybe even dancing before the Lord. And we would say, well, that is worship. But I wanna remind us this morning that worship is far more than just the musical aspects of a Sunday morning service. Fact of the matter is this morning, it doesn't matter how outwardly expressive you are. It doesn't matter how good your voice is. We can all worship. I reminded the illustration of a man who was in a choir and frankly, he had a heart for worship, but he just had a simple problem. That is, he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket to save his life. He just could not sing. Sound horrible. 
And he sang in the choir and he was one of those guys like Barney Fife. He thought he sounded good, but he sounded horrible. And he just sang louder and louder. And finally, the choir director had had enough. The choir director had given every hint possible. And finally, the choir director went to the pastor and he said, pastor, something's got to give. This guy can't sing. And, and he's not getting the message that I'm saying. So pastor, you've got to meet with him and you've got to ask him to step down. And, and if he doesn't, then I'm going to have to step down because I don't know what to do with this guy. So the pastor agreed to have the meeting. He had the meeting, called the gentleman into his office and he said, listen, I, I love your heart for the Lord, but there's a small problem. That problem is he can't sing. He said, what do you mean? He said, pastor, you, you mean to tell me I have to go? I have to leave? Why? And he said, well, actually, several people have come and said, you just can't sing. And the wise old man looked back at the pastor. He said, but pastor, hundreds of people have told me you can't preach, but you're still here. Fact is, worship is not just about singing. It's not just about your voice and your ability and your talent. It's about a heart and life fully devoted in surrender to the Lord. Daniel chapter three, it might be strange to you to see that the main theme of the entire chapter is the theme of worship. And the scene is not a Sunday morning service. The scene is not a worship pastor with a band. The scene is not a Christian preacher preaching a message. The scene, frankly, is in a pagan land, in a pagan ritual, in pagan worship. But in the process of that, God begins to show us what true worship is. It is about our hearts and lives surrendered to the Lord and not giving in to the world and the pressures around us. Daniel chapter three, I wanna ask you if you're able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna read Daniel chapter three, verses one through 18, and Lord willing, we will pick up at verse 19 next week. So today you're only hearing half the story. Let's begin. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. That's 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. A lot of verbiage. Bottom line is everybody in the region who somebody is there. Verse four. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all the kinds of music, all the peoples and the nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse eight, for this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, all kinds of music, they're to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready now, at the moment that you hear all these musical instruments, that you fall down and worship the image that I have made. Very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Listen to this statement. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning and for your word. God, I realize that this pastor scripture was written many, many years ago. But God, the truth that is there about us worshiping you and not worshiping any other is still every bit as relevant to our lives today. So God, today where we have begun to worship false gods and we've allowed idols to creep into our own hearts and lives and we've begun to give into them as opposed to worshiping you as Lord, would you reveal it in our lives today that we would repent and that we would turn to you as the Lord and ruler of our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Fearless in worship. This morning as we gather here together today, it might seem strange to be thinking of the theme of worship in the context of what's happening here in Daniel chapter three. It wasn't a Sunday morning service. There was no preacher giving a message. There was no worship leader playing the song and leading them to worship the living God of heaven. But there was certainly worship going on. It was worship that was coming by the force of a political leader, frankly, that wanted all the power and all the praise. But it's in that context that I believe God shows us several things about worship that we need to examine in our own lives today. Three things I want you to see in our time together this morning about being fearless in worship. Number one, I want you to see the decisions of worship. The decisions of worship. Here's the bottom line this morning. All of us worship something. All of us worship something. It may not be that you sing praises to something. It may not be that you bow your literal knee to something, but all of us worship something. And so I believe the Bible showing us in Daniel chapter three, two questions that we need to examine and consider in the decisions of worship. The first is this, who you're gonna worship? Who will we worship in your life? Who are you worshiping even today? Daniel chapter three, the Bible, I believe, paints a picture of three different groups that frankly, it can be very easy to worship. The first is what I'll simply call the powers of this world. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the powerful leader of that day. He was the king of Babylon who was doing all that he could to expand his kingdom and conquer the then known world. 
Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was very different than many of the ancient armies or kings of the past. Instead of just going in and completely destroying an entire city and laying waste to everybody and everything, here's what the Babylonians did. They would go into a city or they would go into a region. They would literally destroy all of the major buildings and infrastructure. And then they would take the choice prize things of the land and the prize people or students of the land and they would haul them off to Babylon. They take them to Babylon there where frankly they would begin to brainwash them. They would begin to teach them new ideas, new cultures, new laws, new ways. They would for basically cause them to forsake their former religions and their former ways. And then finally, after many years of their homeland being left there as, and to, to, to decay and to rot, eventually they would take those people that had been brainwashed or Babylonified, if you will, and they would take them back to their homeland to be the saviors, to be the rescuers who would rebuild their homeland to be a miniature version of Babylon. So Babylon conquered the world by creating little Babylons all over the world. That's what they did. Here in Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar is in a very interesting time of his political career. In Daniel chapter two, he had had a dream. And in that dream, he had seen a statue. And in that statue, he saw a head of gold. He was troubled because he didn't know the interpretation, but God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream. Daniel goes to the king in Daniel chapter two and he says, oh king, what you saw were four different kingdoms that are there. The first of those kingdoms is the golden head. It is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You are the head of gold. You are this kingdom. He described the Greeks and the Medes and the Persians and the Romans that would come afterwards. But then Daniel said this, but I want you to know, king, there's a final kingdom that's gonna come and it's gonna wipe out all the other kingdoms and this kingdom will last forever for all of eternity because this is the kingdom of God. Well, historians tell us shortly after the interpretation of that dream in Daniel chapter two, something interesting happened in Babylon. There was a major attempt, a coup that occurred trying to overthrow King Nebuchadnezzar. And it didn't succeed. The people who tried to overthrow the king, frankly, were killed. And so the king continued to reign. And the response to that is found in Daniel chapter three. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to remind the entire land who was boss. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the entire world to know who he was and his power and his authority. So here's what he did. Remembering the dream of Daniel chapter two, that the golden head represented him, he had an idol built, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. If you can imagine the scene, that would be absolutely unbelievable. The height of the ceiling in here is about 28 feet at its highest point. So you can imagine a significant high major statue and many of us have had the idea for years that this statue was a representation of Nebuchadnezzar, but the Bible never tells us that. Here's what we simply know. We know that Nebuchadnezzar has built this large idol and he is the power that be. And he says, when you hear the music, I want you to bow your knee and I want you to worship this image. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar had peoples from all over the world, different nations, different religions, different backgrounds. And here's what he's calling for, oddly enough. I want all of you to come together in unity and bow to me. What he's declaring of them is that they would declare their allegiance, their hope, their dependence, and their faith in him. That might sound strange to us today, but the bottom line is, is that every single one of us today we have the temptation and we have the call to bow to the powers of the world. Many of us look for our hope. We put our dependence in this candidate or that candidate, this party or that party, this movement or that movement. But I'm here to tell you, as a 
child of God, one who's been forgiven of your sins, saved and set apart. Our allegiance is not to this president or that president, this party or that party. Our allegiance is to God and God alone. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. The question is this, is he our Lord or is he simply our crutch that we depend upon on Sunday mornings? So the fact of the matter is this morning is that we can worship the powers of this world and many do. But the second possible object of worship is the one that I think is the most difficult at times to diagnose and that is this. It can also be that we would not only worship the powers of this world, but many of us, can easily give in to the temptation to worship self. Picture the scene for just a moment. The Bible never says here that they were dealing with this temptation, but you get the picture. As the king has issued the decree, you gotta bow and worship to my idol. And if you don't, you are going to die. Well, let me ask you a question. What would you do in that moment? What would you do in that moment if the power, most powerful man in all the world declared, if you don't do this, you are going to die, what would you do? Now, now to be honest, it would be very easy for us to probably come up with a lot of explanations or maybe even excuses to give ourselves a pass. Well, you know, that idol's dead, so this doesn't really count as worship. We'll just go ahead and bow. Well, you know what? God knows our heart. Even though we do this outwardly, it's not that big of a deal. Well, you gotta do what you gotta do. I think it's interesting to note that these three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood that any compromise in their worship, anything that showed they valued their own selves over the things that God had called them to do was a matter of compromise and frankly would be an evidence that they were worshiping self. Maybe another way to say it is this. Anytime we put our wants above God's word and God's will, we have made ourselves our own God. Oftentimes in our culture, I will hear someone say, or even post on the context of social media, this simple statement. Well, God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. The challenge of that statement is simply this. Oftentimes in that statement, what we're saying is this. I know what brings me happy and I know what I want and therefore what I want is more important than what God wants. So, so often someone will come with a situation and well, I just wish God would show me what to do. I wish God would just speak to me. Friend, I want you to know this morning, God has spoken to you. Someone said, no, I, just, I wish I could hear God's word audibly. Here's what you do. Read God's word out loud to yourself. God's already said it. He's already showed it. He'll direct you in the path you're to take. So, so here's the simple reality. The reality is it's, that it's not about my want. Frankly, it's not about my happiness. It's about God's glory. If we are worshiping self, our happiness will be the goal. But if we're worshiping God, his glory will be the goal. So what are you living for? Once you answer the what, you will probably know the who you are actually worshiping. Third thing we see in that context is not only do many of us can, can we worship and bow to the powers of the world or even the desires of ourselves, but frankly, many of us can give into the worship of others. When the crowd is going a different direction, it's difficult to stand firm. In fact, many of us, I would imagine, struggle with the desire of, of being men pleasers. We do what we do to get acceptance, to be liked, to be popular, to be famous. How many likes do I get in this? How many people commented about this and we begin to live our life for the approval of man and not for the approval of God. 
Unfortunately, even in Christian settings, it can be very easy for us to take certain people and certain personalities and place them on the platforms to where we're more concerned about them and more concerned about following them than we are about following God. Reminded the illustration many years ago, there was a great preacher of yesteryear named Henry Ward Beecher. And Henry Ward Beecher, God used him extraordinarily and he was an incredible preacher of God's word. And as a result of that, literally thousands of people would come almost a weekly basis to hear the man preach. And one day he was there in his church, one day his church, the people had gathered together and Mr. Beecher wasn't there. He was out of town, but he hadn't announced it. And so when the time for the message came, the musicians were done and the people were seated and a guest preacher came out to preach. And as soon as people realized it wasn't Henry Ward Beecher, many got upset. They began to get their Bible and their purses and their belongings. They, many of them began to leave to exit the sanctuary that day. And the guest preacher wisely and accurately concluded this statement, and I quote, all who came here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. But all who have come here today to worship God, please keep your seats. You know what he was saying? It's not about man. No matter how godly that man may be or how skilled he may be, no, the reality is it's about God and it's about loving him. It's about devoting yourself to him. When we value the acceptance of the crowd or the opinion of others over the word and will of God, we prove that we aren't truly worshiping God. Can you imagine being these Hebrew men in this culture? They're from a different land. They're living now in a pagan land. They're being taught pagan laws. They're being given pagan names. And at this moment, thousands and thousands of people are gathered there. The Bible tells us this statue, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. Nebuchadnezzar sets it on the plain of Dura, which literally was a raised hill. So what this means is the entire city of Babylon could see this idol. So, so no matter where you're at in Babylon, no matter what precinct you lived in, no matter what part of the, of the area, everybody could see this enormous idol. And so he declares, when you hear the music, bow and worship. Sure enough, man, the orchestra, they get cranking up, man, and they're playing and immediately everybody bows, but three people. Could you imagine today being, I know it's weird because we're still in a pandemic and it's hard to even think of any kind of arena being full right now. And the weirdest things of the year is watching a sporting event with no fans. It's so weird, right? Could you imagine being in a football stadium packed with 100,000 people, which means it has to be an SEC stadium, the only conference that matters. But anyway, 100,000 people, everybody's standing, and you're told when this happens, everyone bow and worship. The cue happens, everybody bows, and you and two buddies are like, standing, it's awkward. I mean, the pressure on these guys was unbelievable. And yet in this moment, they were not concerned about the acceptance of the crowd. They weren't concerned about the decree of the king. They weren't concerned about what they were saying about these other false gods. Their only concern in that moment was living for the glory and honor of God. So they were willing to stand. Who are we gonna worship? And secondly, the second question of that decision is this, what are we going to give him? What are we going to give in worship? Anytime you see worship demonstrated in the Bible, you see it demonstrated through a gift or through something being given. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, he's getting ready to offer a sacrifice, a very costly, weighty sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that Abraham looked at his servants and he said to them, I and the lad, I and his son, he's talking about Isaac, we're gonna go over there and we're going to worship God and return to you. 
Matthew chapter 22, the wise men, they come with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they come to Jerusalem. They ask King Herod, where is he who's born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. The idea of worship there being demonstrated in the context of I'm going to give something of value, which is really what worship is. The word worship comes from two old English words that literally mean worth-ship. So when we worship something, Daniel chapter three, when you hear the music, bow and worship this image. What Nebuchadnezzar is calling them to do is this. It's not a physical gift that they're giving. It's deeper than that. It's far deeper than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's far deeper than a pocketbook. No, here's what he's saying. I realize we're all from different backgrounds, different countries, different things, but I want you to understand that I and my government is your only hope. And so when you hear the music, when you hear it all, I want you to bow and declare your dependence and declare your allegiance to me. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. For I want to remind us today that there are many things that are calling for our allegiance. Many things tempting us to call us to, 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 to feel like, well, I've got to have that. I've got to need that. The power's there. The influence is there. But I want to remind us this morning, if you have any greater need than the Lord Jesus Christ, something is wrong in your life. What are you going to give? Please understand, in this moment, what I believe is recognized in this situation is God is bringing them to a place. He un these three guys, these three Hebrew men, they understand that the greatest thing in their life should be this, not to worship others, not to worship self, not to worship the powers that be, but to worship God and God alone. The question for each of our lives today is, who are we living to please? Are we living to please others? Are we li living to please self? Are we living to please this party? Or are we living our life to please and honor God? Second thing I want you to see, beyond the question of what are we willing to give and who are we going to worship, I want you to see the dilemma of worship. The dilemma of worship. These three guys refuse to bow. They refuse to worship anyone or anything but the living God of heaven. And then we see something that I think we've got to be honest about. And that is this. When you determine that you're only going to live for God, when you determine regardless of what the culture's doing, regardless of what the professor's saying, regardless of what the temptation is to do in that moment, when you determine in that moment, I'm going to live my life to worship and glorify God and God alone that does not mean that life is gonna be easy. There's a whole movement of theology today that will say, you know what, if you just believe in God, if you just have faith in him, if you just trust in him, and if you just send your check here, the blessings are coming. And I will tell you, there's significant blessing when you honor God and live for him, but it's not always in a material way that you might be thinking. See, in this moment, the dilemma's coming because they had declared, we're only gonna worship God. We're only going to follow and serve him. And then the trial comes. Friend, I wanna remind you this morning that when you walk in the light and yet live in the midst of darkness, when you seek to honor God in a culture that wants nothing to do with God, you're gonna face some trials. You're gonna face some persecution. You're gonna face some challenges. By the way, I wanna remind us, did not Jesus himself face those things? 
Was not Jesus himself the very son of God? And yet when he came into this world, the Bible tells us that men love darkness rather than light. And so they didn't just reject him, but they mocked him. They humiliated him. They falsely accused him. They beat him. They, they even crucified him. And Jesus would say to us in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 19, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world and I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So what do you do when this happens? What do you do when you begin to face the trials of worshiping God and God alone? Here's what you do. You trust God and his word. In fact, did you know today that times of adversity are usually times of great opportunity when we are faithful and yielded to the Lord? Notice what happens in this passage of scripture from verses eight and following. The Bible says that the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans were the veterans in King Nebuchadnezzar's government. They've been around for a long time, okay? And they are likely very jealous that outsiders have quickly risen to power in the Babylonian government. And the Bible says the Chaldeans immediately come to the king. Now think of it. Thousands of people from all the districts of Babylon have bowed to worship this. They've all been unified under this false worship to the, this golden image, except for three. The Bible tells us in this pastor's scripture that the Chaldeans come to the king. Oh, king, did you not issue the decree that everybody's got to bow when they hear the music? Did you not issue the decree that whoever goes against you is gonna be killed in the fiery furnace? Oh, king, did you not do this? Absolutely, I did that. Well, king, I want you to know, there are three Hebrew men that you appointed. You, you, can kind of, you hear the, the blame in their voice. There's three guys that you put in this position who have disregarded you. Well, had they disregarded the king? No. They didn't ignore him personally. But they go on to say, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. King, we want you to know there's somebody that's not bowing to you. There's somebody that's not giving in to the pressures you're putting upon them. There are some that are worthy of death. Man, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He calls for the three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come together. He gets them together and he asks them the question, is it true? Is it true that you're not worshiping me? Is it true that you're not living according to what I say? Is it true that you're not giving to my demand? Is it true that you're not bowing when I could tell you to? Is it true? And then he tells them, guys, I've got the power to throw you into the fiery furnace. Guys, I can have you destroyed. I have the power. I have the authority. I can do with your life what I want to do. So guys, I'm gonna give you a second chance because I'm such a good guy. I'm gonna get all the band together, the orchestra's here in the background, and I'm giving you a second chance. When you hear the music again, I want you to bow and worship. Please understand, their trial turned to yet again another opportunity for temptation. Just compromise. Just give in. Just go with the flow. Everything will be fine when you do. Nobody can help you. Nobody can help you. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, is there a God? Is there a God that could possibly save you from my hand? What I want you to see is the same lie that Nebuchadnezzar brought to these guys, the same temptation, the same pressure, it's the same thing that Satan brings in our own life when it's kind of like he's looking at us saying, listen, you can live it up. You can do what you want to do. Who could possibly deliver you from this? Who can help you in this moment? I'm here to help you. I'm here to make it all better. But these guys in this moment, they're not giving into the lies. They're not giving into the pressures. They're not giving into the temptation at all. The dilemma that we face. When you choose to worship God and God alone, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. 
The third thing I want you to see this morning, final point, because I think it's the devotion of worship. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, please listen to this final point because I think it's the heart of the whole matter, verses 16 through 18. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? All right. The devotion of worship. Please understand, our worship is not about what happens on Sunday mornings. Man, man, it's awesome to come together that when we lift our voices and sing together as a body of believers, it's awesome when we come together to serve the Lord. And so it's been such an encouragement in recent days as a pastor to see so many people serving and so many new people serving. What an encouragement. It's wonderful that we serve the Lord in that way. It's wonderful when we give God our time and our talents and our treasures. That is wonderful. But I remind you, worship is not about these simple moments on Sunday morning. It's about a life fully devoted and surrendered to the Lord. In Daniel chapter three, These three Hebrew men, in a matter of a statement or two, tell us what worship is really all about. Because they show us that worship is not based on our circumstance. True worship is not based upon what we get from God. True worship is based and focused on one primary thing, and that is this. It is who God is and what he alone deserves. I want you to see three things about true worship in this pastor's church. The first is this, true worship is based on conviction. True worship is based on conviction. It's easy to sing songs on Sunday. It's easy to get to the Lord's work. It's easy to serve even in some capacity. These are all ways that we can express worship. But if you're only going through the motions of doing these things, you will miss the entire heart of it. Our worship is not measured by how we perform on Sunday, but on who we serve and how we live every single day. Listen to their incredible conviction, verse 16. Nebuchadnezzar's asked the question, what God could possibly deliver you from my hand? I'm the the most powerful man in the entire world right now. Uh, What I say goes, what God could possibly deliver you from my hand? And they answer, verse 16, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Man, I love this. In other words, what they're saying is, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even have to think about this. We don't even have to ponder your request and your decree and your demand. We don't even have to really even think so much about the cost. We don't even have to give you an answer. Now, please understand, this is not arrogance. This is simply them understanding their position and the position of the God that they served. What's happening this moment as they're looking and saying, King, we don't have to explain this to you. Our goal is not to live to please you. Our goal is to live to please God. We don't have to give you an answer about this. Our conviction is that the living God of heaven that we worship, that we love, and that we serve, he is the living God and he is worthy of our worship. Their heart was firmly fixed on the Lord and they would not compromise and bow to the idol that he had given. Even in the midst of chaos, Even in the midst of threats, they understood that their God was fully in control and they had nothing to fear. Warren Wiersbe calls this true faith. Here's what he says. Faith means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us, the circumstances around us, or the consequences before us. True faith obeys the Lord and trusts him to work out the consequences. Oh, King, we don't have to give you an answer because we are worshiping and trusting in the living God of heaven. Second thing. True worship is expressed with confidence. I love this next verse, verse 17. 
If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Our God's able to deliver us from this. Notice the next statement. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. The God that we love and serve, we're living for him, we're focused on him, even though everyone else is bowing to the pressures of the world, even though everyone's doing exactly what you require of them, even though you're giving us this great demand, we are looking to the living God of heaven, knowing that he has all power and that he has all authority. We wanna live our life to please him and we know that he is able to deliver us from the fire. Again, this is not arrogance. This is confidence in God. God can set us free. God can deliver us. God can rescue us. God can do the miracle. When it seems like we're in a dead end, God can part the way. Some of us this morning need to be reminded of that because we feel like we're at a dead end. We, we look at this situation. We look at this circumstance. We look at this relationship. We look at this hardship and we feel like we can't go on. We don't see any hope in the midst of it. And what God is calling us to do is get your, eyes, get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes off of the circumstance and look to him. He can do all things. In fact, I think sometimes God allows us to get to that place just so we realize our only hope is him. They're looking to God. God can deliver us. And not only do they say this, verse 17 and O king, he will deliver us out of your hand. Again, this is not arrogance. This is not like name it and claim it theology, okay? Many times today in our, in our day, sometimes in various cultures, if you just name it and claim it, God's gonna do it. But then when you name it and claim it, it doesn't happen, it must be your fault, lack of faith. They didn't say how he was gonna deliver them. What they're ultimately saying is, we have every confidence that one way or the other, God is going to deliver us. Maybe he's gonna deliver us from the fiery furnace or maybe he's gonna deliver us through the fiery furnace. But either way, O king, God's going to deliver us from your hand because we belong to him. So often in ministry, sitting down with a believer who their health is fading, the Lord's allowed me many times the opportunity to pray with an individual, pray with a family. And I don't know necessarily how God's gonna answer, but we'll pray, God, would you deliver them? Would you miraculously heal them from this affliction? But God, if it be your will through death, would you deliver them from this affliction? See, what I want you to see is, regardless of what the outcome was, whether God miraculously showed up and spared them from the fire or God miraculously showed up in the fire or if God took them to heaven with him through the fire, their confidence was God is with us and if God be for us, it doesn't matter who can be against us because God will show up and deliver us. Their confidence was in God. Many of us spend so much time praying for safety to avoid the fire and many times end up missing what God would have shown us in the fire if we would have just been willing to trust in him. They're willing to trust in God. Their confidence is in him, which brings me to the final point, And that is this. True worship is demonstrated through commitment to God. True worship is demonstrated not on Sunday morning by how loud you sing, though it blesses me when you sing out. True worship is best demonstrated not by how you serve, though serving the Lord is a way that we can express our worship. True worship is best seen not by how you give, though we should give to honor God. True worship is seen 
through our lifestyle of devotion and surrender to God. We see it in verse 18. This is so good. So often in our worship, we will come to God and we'll say, God, I'm gonna worship you if you keep blessing me. God, I come to sing praises to you. I come to honor you. And God, I'm looking forward to what you're gonna do in return. We often come, maybe we don't say it, but with our life and with our actions, we literally come to worship based upon what we get, not upon what we give to him. But can I just say to you, if that's the case, what you're demonstrating is not belief, but bargaining with God. If, if that's our attitude, God, we, we come to worship you, we want this experience back. What we're truly saying is, God, I'm worshiping you because of what I get out of it. When truly our worship ought to be simply what we're giving to God in praise. Notice the statement. God's gonna deliver us from you, verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They believe God had the power to deliver them. They trusted in some way that he would. But even if he didn't, here's what they're saying. We know that God alone is God. We're willing to trust his plan, even if it's different than my own. And we're only going to worship him. Man, that's faith. That's worship. There's a lot of things in life that I'd like to see God do. There's a lot of things I pray for. In fact, I was thinking the other day as I was looking at my prayer list of people that I'm praying for, for God's healing. A lot of things I'd love to see God do in the context of relationships of people that I've known that are far from the Lord. And here's the bottom line. My worship should never be dependent upon what God does or doesn't do. It should be fully, de fully dependent on who he is. Is he God or not? Does he deserve my best or not? True faith believes in the power of God. It trusts in the promises of God. It rests in the presence of God and it accepts the plan of God even when it's not your own. God will deliver us, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This morning, as I close the message, here's kind of the summary statement. Somebody said, man, that's only half the story. That's right, we're gonna pick it up next week, Lord willing. And we're gonna learn about how God walks with us through the trials and the storms of life. But today, I think it's important for us to answer that question. Who or what are you worshiping? And can I say to you this morning, if you are worshiping anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, in the end, it will be found to be spent in vain. There's a lot of things you can live for, a lot of things that you can pursue, but only one thing that will matter for eternity, and that is this, did you live for Jesus Christ? When we stand before God, it's not gonna be about how much time we spent in the sports and how much time we spent doing this, how much time we spent reading the, the, the news cycles about all the different stars of the day. Well, did you stand with this political party? Did you stand with that candidate over here? Did you follow this movement? Did you No. Did you know Jesus Christ? Did you worship him and him alone?
And my hope and prayer is that even in the midst of a culture that is largely rejecting God and it seems like we see the darkness of it more and more every single day is that you and I will continue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, continue to please him and him alone, but in doing so, we would shine a bright light to every single person around us. Can you imagine how those three guys stood out to the entire region simply because they were willing to stand and worship God and God alone? There's a reason for all that. There's a purpose in what God's doing. By the time we get to Daniel chapter six, we would find out God was doing more in the moment than they could have ever even imagined because through their desire to worship God and God alone, God shone a bright light to the entire city of Babylon. And today, if we will worship God and God alone, God can not only work in us, he can work on us and he can work through us to shine a bright light to every single person around us. And I pray for his glory. We'll be willing to worship him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you speak to our life. Thank you for the ways that you guide us and direct us. I pray right now that we would determine in our life that we will worship only one, and that is that we will worship you. And God, today where we have settled for cheap substitutes, I pray that we would not only be convicted, but that we would repent of our sin. God, if we are choosing our lifestyle above your word, I pray that we would repent of our sin. If we're choosing our wants and preferences over your will and your word, I pray that we would repent of sin. God, today, if we are worshiping and serving other people, living to please others, doing what others want, even other personalities that we might hold on to high pedestals, God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would repent of our sin and worship Jesus and Jesus alone. God, today, if we're bowing to the pressures of the world to turn to other things, I pray that you would convict us, that we would be today fully committed to you and you alone. God, help us today to honor you and to live for you. Help us to courageously stand for you in a world that's largely rejecting you. God, may you work innocent through us to be a light to people around us. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.